All right, here we go. Here we go. Ooh, the fire is big. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens. So there's cracks that the about science to make intelligent decisions scared. about what. That's why I brought this in. Oh, I didn't even see that. Oh, hi! I didn't see you come in. Fire extinguisher. Do you think eventually the penny will kind of deform over the edge? I was hoping. Because it does have to be like wildly hot for it to burn copper. It'll be up to you and you too. Well, hello, Mark. You've got the can of bar jokes that you brought in that I am now filled with all these little slips of slips of paper that have bar jokes on them. So am I reading one to you? Yeah, and I'll read one to you. Well, I wondered why the Frisbee was getting bigger, but then it hit me. <laughs> My sensitive toothpaste gets really jealous when I use other toothpastes. <laughs> 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 I love that that's, one. That's solid. <laughs> now that my stream deck is up and running again. All, All right. right. Let's do another one here. Why did the journalist go to the ice cream shop? Why why did the journalist go to the ice cream shop? Oh, because she wanted to get a good scoop. That <laughs> one no. We should have stopped. Now I gotta do another one. Uh how do snails fight? Um I don't know. They slug it out. <laughs> All right, well, that's a lesson in, in <laughs> ending while you're above and ahead. Yeah. So, um, so we have a new friend at our house here. Oh. Uh, we call him Frank. Okay. And uh, and he he sounds like this. <laughs> so you got one. So we got a crow call because we have a crow as a friend <gasps> named Frank. Wow. He's got kind of a broken wing-ish. He still flies fine, but his wing's a little janky. And uh, and so we got some cat food, and we feed him in the same place, and he comes around. And we think uh, his girlfriend or wife comes around as well. Uh, she stays in the tree far away and watches him and, like, keeps an eye on him, and, she, and he kind of looks back at her. And um, he will fill his mouth with food and, and then fly back. away and so we think that they probably have a nest together with some birds uh, some babies. wow and uh it's about that time of year and uh, uh, yeah you sent me a, a video a couple days ago of, of a guy demonstrating the different crow calls and i was like i've low grade wanted to befriend a crow lately so yeah you need to start so, putting out like tinsel and like little trinkets we, we tried that he doesn't care at all. Oh. at all yeah i know uh we had a little bowl of of cut up pieces of uh the beads from our uh like mardi gras mardi gras beads and uh he doesn't care about those he just cares about the cat food <laughs> and uh but he 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 like he'll sometimes he'll grab some and then walk two doors down <laughs> like just he just carrying his groceries home totally. <laughs> just walks around he's he's kind of funny wow uh, oh that's so cool so, so have you been able to use the call so we did and he hates it <laughs> so he genuinely jumped uh and then flew because there's no way to like do it softly a nice one so that's his part but yeah and so it wow we've also noted that the crow call sounds better at a distance okay. like right here it sounds like a kazoo yeah yeah uh, yeah. but when you add <laughs> atmosphere add to atmosphere it atmosphere to it it actually sounds pretty wow yeah. that's so cool i went we figure out how to I, exploit it for I, our entertainment I, um so there's three new nfts that have dropped uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I, I, I there's an internet know, hoax going around. <laughs> it's a whole web page dedicated to them. <laughs> it's not real. It's, it it's is real. real. It's real. And so Madonna has released uh, three NFTs. And um, oh, I was going to play the odd that I did have that plugged in for. A oh, reason. oh, here. No, but no. Take take back my cord by all means. Working on it a full year, she says. So she says to release something that looks like it was quickly put together in 1998 for the PlayStation One. 
And <sighs> let's go here. Roadcaster Pro. And here. My journey through oh my god, I've not woman. seen the uncensored version like of this. Of tree. Oh my Starting god. from a small seed. Always pushing against the resistance of the earth. The endless weight of gravity. So what we're looking at <laughs> is a lady uh, in in maybe a birthing position. A birthing position, giving birth to a tree. It's in a very stark, like, futuristic room of some sort. And there is a... Uh, tree coming, a tree. Out of a, coming out of a vagina. Yes. Yes, and... Wow, flowers are opening very Georgia O'Keeffe. Yeah. Yes. So that that is. And, and so the the say the auction has started. Okay. Uh, you can pick up this one of the three for about three hundred and sixty thousand dollars right now. Three hundred sixty thousand dollars. Sorry, three hundred sixty thousand uh, dollars, and the other two are considerably less. One is oh. uh, like one hundred and fifty-six, and the other one. I is wonder like why the value difference. Uh, <laughs> cooch yeah. So shot? this is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I believe the, there's another one with uh, robots, centipedes, and bugs and stuff, and then there's I forget what the other one was. I, I investigated no further when I. Yeah. I mean, when I saw the, the initial. One with the, oh, she's with. See, robotic centipedes coming out. Of okay, the so I, and one with butterflies coming out. Oh, of yeah, I had not seen the butterfly one. That one is equally unsettling. And here's the thing that bothers. So I knew these were coming because she's been teasing it and like it showed the setup of like, you remember when Barack Obama got his like 3D thing gun and it had all the cameras around her and uh, Madonna was posting about doing that. And I'm like, okay, well, clearly there's effort being put into this. Like it's not just a bored ape type thing or whatever. There's some sort of creative process going in. And I was like, maybe this time she'll not not be so cringy nope 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 so yes uh, a great time i hear from the news to release nfts <laughs> and totally. to just to be dealing in cryptocurrency all together right so yeah that was the other thing too is like it took a year to put something together with that that and not just that subject matter but like the graphics are terrible like why did you need 50 cameras to make it look like a <laughs> Laura Croft Tomb Raider sex doll, which is what from it looks the 90s. Like. Yeah, right. which is baffling, but there's no accounting for art, I guess. Although there is, and see, this always bugs me too because the news she should be putting out there, she's uh, getting ready to release, I think, in August or so, a, a album of all 50 of her number one hits. And she's the first artist of any kind to have 50 number ones on any single chart. And then she also just got the second artist in history behind Michael Jackson to have more than 100 million streams for a video in four different decades. And I'm like, that's the news you need to be pushing in front of the greatest hits album. You don't need to be birthing robotic centipedes out of your vagina for everyone to see. <laughs> wow. Well, I do have an, um, let's see, we didn't record last week. So... Um, we do Portland at the Movies, which is our uh, podcast about movies made in Portland. And a long time ago, about two years it's been, uh, did a movie called Back Time. And it's one of three movies from this guy named Stephen Miller. And it's not the famous director, Steve Miller. It's just another Steve Miller who made three movies in the late 90s. And that's it. And we can't find him anywhere. Like, we've been kind of like, I posted the, his movies on my YouTube channel, hoping that... Someone will strike it so I can finally find it. Nothing. Just like Tur- radio. Turns out it went into the Trump administration. <laughs> yeah. And became <laughs> not that Stephen Miller. <laughs> not that Stephen Miller. Um, so, yeah, it's just been this big mystery. And the, the movie Back Time, um, I think, made second place of overall all yeah. the 50 movies that we've, we've done. And just this charming little movie that's kind of a Power Rangers meets Back to the Future 2. It's got the voice of Tom Baker in uh, from Doctor Who in it. It has um, all these cool robot costumes that are really super neat and just charming. And it has this little creature named Zymo and our running gag on that episode was like, what is Zymo? Like, we don't understand... 
what this creature is supposed to be. Sometimes it's acting like a two-year-old. Sometimes it's building like these super complex space outfits out of nothing while living in a cave. Like what is Zymo supposed to be and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I forget how to uh, comment on my YouTube page. Um, someone, someone was like, um, we went back and forth a couple times. She's like, oh, I have... Uh, this this person says I have something for you is there a way to contact you so I gave him my email and he left a message then on our Portland at the movies page blah 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 we go back and forth and he keeps never signing a name I'm getting like my phone is broken I have to print out GPS stuff I'm going to my friend's 100th birthday party and I'm like okay clearly this is like a 70 or 80 year old man who maybe has some props from back time because he's like, we should meet up. I promise it'll be worth your time. And I'm like, this is interesting. <laughs> it's like that. I was telling Brian, it's that time that I got you that, um, that vintage Atari yes. with the, yes. with the scram game. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what I'm getting you, but I have a feeling where we're going to get it is going to be fascinating and weird. And it was like, yeah, some hoarder guy's house. And we were there for like an hour and a half because like, there was no exit strategy. And so I kind of had the same feeling. And so I was like, well, Brian is going back to Gigantic Brewery in, South, in Southeast Portland for their 10 year anniversary. I'll go there. I'll meet them in, you know, in a, in a public space or whatever that's easy to find. And so I get there and we kind of, and this person was coming from Vancouver was where the party was and the party's supposed to get out at four, four o'clock. And I was like, well, that's probably about a half hour or so. This is an older person who's printing out directions. It's a kind of a hard brewery to find because it's like kind of tucked Southeast yeah. in a weird place. And so I'm thinking around 4.45 or five or so. So I'm standing outside and I'm talking to Brian and Michael Bayuth, who is another friend. Um, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, I didn't tell this person what I was going to be wearing. I said I was going to be with my friend Brian, but I didn't say I'm going to be with a Unipiper, which would have been a very easy way <laughs> to recognize us. I didn't say that. I didn't know what they looked like because they had never really signed a name. And I was like, well, what is this going to be? And like, I thought maybe, oh, Stephen Miller was the person. And now they're in, and two days before the person, he, signed, he finally signed his email, he signed his emails, Terry. And I looked through all the credits of back time and I'm like, oh, it's not that. And I'm like, this is going to be such a letdown because the person kept building up like, I'll make it worth your time. I'll make it worth your time. And so I'm talking with Brian. I'm like, yeah, there's no way. This is just going to be such a letdown. And so we're standing there wondering how the, we're going to find each other once once he gets here. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm standing right out at the front with kind of my back to the sidewalk. And out of the corner of my eye, I see um, it's super crowded too, which I underestimated again just like Brian's release party so there's like 200 people there I mean there was a lot of people there and people are coming in and out and out of the corner of my eye I kind of see a little person a little person walk by uh, to get uh, into the entrance and I go and in my head I'm like oh oh what they could it and then I see Brian see this person who was a um, I'd say woman in her 50s very long hair and I was like is this the person that played Zymo? And I was like, no, she's way too young. Like I was thinking that that person would be in the sixties or seventies. And then I see Brian see her and I see in Brian's eyes, holy shit, is this Zymo? <laughs> and so this lady passes us and goes inside and me and Brian look at each other. And like, it's, it was such a hard feeling to describe because both of us are suddenly like super amped and we're just like vibrating with energy and then we're like how do we find out if that's who i'm meeting like i can't go up to a little person and just assume did you play this weird creature in this movie little person like i can't do that and i told brian i'm like there's no precedent for this i don't no one has taken this path before me for, for me to follow and so we stood, me and Brian stood out there just like freaking out for, I'd say, a good four or five minutes. And I go, well, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go inside and I'm going to look like I am looking for someone. And so I, <laughs> I go inside and I go past her. She was standing in the beer line. So she was like two or three back. And so I pass her and I kind of turn 
and look look down at her and she looks at me and she says um oh i wrote it down she <laughs> says hey mister be careful it's a real circus out there <laughs> and i look and i and that is not <laughs> ringing a single bell in my head later after after this was all over and we were texting back and forth she lives in uh in eugene and so she was driving back there and we were texting back and forth and she said that again so that must be a line a line from the movie but yeah she says hey mister be careful it's a circus out there (laughs) and and so i look and i'm like well that's not helpful (laughs) that's not helpful (laughs) but it's so specific that like what else could that mean other than i am the one here to meet you and so i I went up and i hugged her and and so i dragged her back outside i'm like oh come outside to brian and and so then we talked with her and just this wonderful lady who did you get any selfies did you get any pictures yeah yeah oh yeah we yeah i'll show them afterwards too and so um yeah, she stayed for about a half hour or so and talked to me and Brian and she had a whole bag of like different back time VHS and DVD releases and like an alternate cover for it. And just kind of she's like, I don't really know where Stephen Miller is either. Every, you know, every couple of years I'll try to contact him and I don't hear anything back. And she's not an actor. She just he uh, Stephen Miller just happened to see her in Vancouver one time and was like, hey, be in my he she was in two of his movies. Um, but I mean. So unexpected because I was expecting a a man first of, because of course because I right. was raised in the 20th century, um, and then realized that I was gendering this person <laughs> without like any confirmation, and so I was expecting an old man, and never once did it occur that it could be the person that played Zymo because like what are the chances of that? Totally. And so <laughs> she was great. She thought her show was, and that was the other thing too. Like I hadn't seen back time and I hadn't listened to our podcast in the two years that right. we had done it. And I'd only listened to it once maybe. Right. And so I'm like, oh shit, what, what did, did we I say, say about this person? <laughs> and so I listened back and we, we were all super nice and like, cause of course we loved the movie and we right. thought she did great in it or whatever. And so I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Not like that woman who I said must be a man. There's no way that that person isn't a man. And then she ended up <laughs> emailing us p.s i am a woman (laughs) but just it was so it was wonderful and she was a a very very colorful person and it was interesting because like i just judging by some of the things that she said and i won't i won't say too much about her because it sounded like she she values her privacy but um had a lot of things that at uh like we'd ask her about something and then like clearly it was the edge of a dark cloud that like if we were to push further it was like a story of human tragedy or whatever right. for whatever reason and awesome. so um but yeah she was great we stayed i, I hung out had a couple of cigarettes with zymo That's <laughs> and awesome. she she went off on her way and it was it was so great it's like i felt so alive again but it was such an <laughs> unpredictable and like a yeah. feeling that like only in that situation would you get that specific yeah series of chemicals to your brain and on the back time uh imdb accredited as sk freund right yes yeah. yes and then and then i found out that because i thought i was just dealing with a boomer who didn't have any idea how technology like any of that stuff worked well she has been carefully crafted everything that she said to kind of not sound like her and to not tip me off and like she changed her gmail yep address so that it just came from like tba or tvk or something like that her youtube page was just a complete you know randomized whatever with no clues to it and so she totally played, she That's totally awesome. catfished me. So I wanted to share because awesome. I was catfished by Zymo. We have our What is Zymo shirt, which she, what Brian is- showed me the receipt. She bought two <laughs> What is, it's just a screenshot of Zymo from the movie. And it just says, What is Zymo? Yeah. And so she was very excited for that merch. But it was, <laughs> it was really fun. And like I've, I've said a couple of times, I said it to Brian again that, um, not a lot of, I don't actually know how many people listen to Portland at the movies, but I'm assuming it's similar to this show. So not very many. And, but I've come so much to realize that not a lot, especially with Portland at the movies, not a lot of people listen, but the people that do 
are usually the people that work on the movie because right. like they're Googling it and we're right. the only person who has ever talked about it. <laughs> exactly. And so it's really given me like, especially in some of those early shows, you know, where you're trying to try to be funny or this or edgy. And you're like, Oh, these are like for real people that are out there just listening to me, call right. them mannish and handsome. <laughs> Maybe I should clean up my ass. Large handed. <laughs> So yeah, Zyma was, it was uh, a trip to me and I was glad that uh, Brian was there to experience it with me and to go through it and to freak out with him. And it was really, really great. So kudos, Zymo. You catfished me like a pro. Amazing. Yay, Zymo. Yay, Zymo. Well, let's get into some other news here. The news outlet OAN finally admits that there was no widespread voter fraud after settling a defamation suit. Uh, The right-wing cable network One America News Network on Monday ran a pre-recorded 30-second segment acknowledging there was, quote, no widespread voter fraud by Georgia election workers in the 2020 presidential election. The segment noted that an investigation by state officials into unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud made by ex-president Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani turned up nothing. So this named, uh, this lawsuit was brought by two people, uh, Freeman and her daughter Moss. I didn't have their first names. I must cut them off. Um, say they were harassed online and in person after baseless rumors began circulating online due in part to content content published by the conspiracy website The Gateway Pundit uh, which the pair also sued in January 2021 when Trump pressured Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to try to quote find votes to overturn the state's election results he mentioned Freeman's name 18 times Freeman was also visited by public publicist for Kanye West who threatened her in an effort to exact a confession about the election fraud. If that weren't enough, um, a video of the pair doing their job was hyped up by Rudy Giuliani and Sean Hannity who falsely claimed it showed, quote, blatant, clear, and obvious fraud. While speaking to the Georgia State House of Representatives about the video during a Zoom meeting, Giuliani at one point can be heard saying, we should try to get this on Newsmax and OANN. So um, they did and then they got sued and they ran a a scaredy cat 30 second pre-recorded program in between ads for Viagra and blood pressure medication. I imagine reverse mortgages. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to talk about this next one? Well, uh, Andy Warhol's Marilyn at $195 million shatters auction record for an American artist in under four minutes of bidding. Andy Warhol's 1964 silk screen of the actress's face shot stage shot, <laughs> shot sage blue Marilyn sold for about $195 million to an unknown buyer at Christie's in New York, making it the highest price achieved for any American work wow. of art at auction. We did sell the most expensive painting of the 20th century, said Christie's specialist Alex Rotter. This is a big achievement. The 40-inch by 40-inch painting, a trophy given its vibrant colors and glamorous subject matter, eclipsed the previous high price of $110.5 million for a Basque, Basquiat. Got Basquiat skull painting at Sotheby's in 2017, as well as Warhol's uh, auction high for a car crash painting that sold for 105 million in 2013. I don't know what the car crash one was, but um yeah, that's crazy and everybody kind of knows that the silkscreen face of Marilyn Monroe one of yeah. one of it's one of those and the Basquiat one speaking of speak of Madonna used to be her boyfriend in the early 80s and then when they broke up, she broke up with him because he was on heroin and just a junkie and they broke up and he Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat had given her some of his art. This is like, they were both just living on the street or whatever. And when they broke up, Madonna was like, I don't, I don't know if I want these or I don't feel comfortable having this great art and gave it back to him. And he just painted over them all black. (laughs) And so those no longer exist. So, but $195 million. There's a really good documentary about Basquiat that. Ooh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's really good. Oh, interesting. Well, 20 internet providers will, provide, will offer discounted services for low-income Americans. The Biden administration announced on Monday 
that they have agreed to provide discount service to low-income Americans, a program that could effectively make tens of millions of households eligible for free service in an already uh, through an already existing federal subsidy. The one trillion, with a T, as Nate Heath would say, infrastructure pa- package passed by Congress last year included $14.2 billion for the Affordable Connectivity Program. More than 100,000 households in the Portland area qualify for the new program, according to Comcast. Biden made expanding high-speed internet access in rural and low-income areas a priority. American households are eligible for the subsidies through the affordable connectivity platform if their income income is at or below 200% of the federal poverty level. Now, or if they're part of a program uh, like SNAP or the Federal Public Housing Assistance or Veterans Pension and Survivors. But 200% math, you're a math person. So I believe the federal poverty rate is something like $12,000 a year. And anything above that, you're considered not to be in poverty. Now, that is insane. Yes. I mean, that is half, at least half of what it should be to be considered living in poverty. If you are not, I mean, it should be at least $20,000. You would think. So, and so to be 200% of that. So um, let's go for Oregon. Let's see if we've got these. Oh, nope. It's just got. So that would be like five grand, four grand a year. No. Or above that. Above that. It's okay. Like 200 per- so. Oh, so, I thought it was like. <clears throat> so in. Well, it says. It, Washington, Their income is at or below 200%. Okay. Right, right. So, so that would be. So in Washington, D.C., the poverty line is $12,800 a year. So a grand a month is what you're living on. If you make two grand a month, then you're eligible. Okay. Okay. I thought it was going the other way. Well, thank goodness. Thank goodness somebody who knew math stepped in. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um,. Uh, that's not much of an article because it just went on and on and on. It was more of a think piece, but it was to save water amidst, amid a mega drought, Las Vegas outlaws grass. So I think that's going to be something we see more and more uh, throughout California and Arizona and all uh, Nevada and some of these southern, southern states where it just has grass that needs all of the water to live and it doesn't really do anything. So um, that's going to the brand new regulation, which handed uh, which handed with bipartisan help is supported. Uh, supposed to assist good grief <laughs> see there cowboy Get that crow in here to read the news <laughs> is supposed to assist make sure am i reading did, did i cut out <laughs> did i cut out a verb somehow well anyway bipartisan effort to outlaw grass so <laughs> good times good grief oh, why don't you take that uh the cdc then. tracked millions of phones to see if americans followed COVID lockdown orders and track your personal information mm-hmm. <laughs> without re- telling anybody about it. The CDC bought access to location data harvested from tens of millions of phones in the United States to perform analysis of compliance with curfews, tra- track patterns of people visiting K-12 schools, and specifically monitor the effectiveness of policy in the Navajo Nation, according to CDC documents obtained by this news outlet. The documents also show that although the CDC used COVID-19 as a reason to buy access to the data more quickly, it intended to use it for more general CDC purposes. Uh, there's a don't really say. great um, <clears throat> deep dive into this uh, mm. practice of data collection and, and selling of your data by uh, John Oliver on, oh. on uh, the week, last week tonight. Last week tonight, yeah, um, a few weeks ago, and okay. it's it's sad uh, it, it, and shocking. You know, all of these phones and apps are collecting information, bundling that information together, and putting it on the market, and so a. Uh, police station can buy that information without any warrant or anything. So knows where you've been, where you've shopped, who you've called, all that you like, all that information is just available for purchase on the open market. Right. And um, 
I, 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 yeah. And there, it's, it's, there's just no way to opt out of any, any of it. Other than like, I'm going to a Queen Amidala flip phone and I'm never using an app again. Right. Or my computer or anything. I will live in a cave. Bluetooth or like, you know, my, my belief, the, the big, iPhone 7 cut the cord of we're no we don't have room in the phone for the uh audio jack anymore and we're only going bluetooth you know the big cord oh, kind of thing oh yeah 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 and and that's very and they did that at the same time that they shifted their iOS to you <clears throat> when you go to turn off bluetooth you don't really turn off bluetooth you like temporarily disable it but it will turn back on automatically uh, unless you go into the settings and actually turn off Bluetooth, but if you use the quick setting for it, yeah. it won't. Uh, you know, and and it's because we have so many. Like the average Starbucks has sixteen trackers inside the Starbucks to track your movement through the Starbucks, so that they have analytics optimize. Of, of optimize the people flow through their <coughs> capitalist you know, engine nightmare. Uh, and, uh, here we are. I, I just am continuously, and I just sound like a horrible, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm continuously just saddened by what our nation has become with capitalism. The, uh, Katie, uh, the, the representative who uses the whiteboard, I can't think of her name right now. Uh, Katie, yeah. something she, she is always so succinct and able to drill down. So she gets the um, the CEO of uh, Big Pharma on the floor mm-hmm. and grills them and like, okay, so Medicaid uses 1% and you use 13% of all your revenue for overhead. What, like... So it, yeah. it just drills into uh, the the fact that our medical system is for profit, the fact that our educational system is for profit, has shifted our economy in a, such a grotesque way, where where the the core of our economic engine is exploitation of people to get more dollars for the billionaires. Right. Like that's right. genuinely what, what's going well, on. Well, that what that's what bugs me so so much about everything. <laughs> Sorry, such a downer episode. No. But but that's why as we're trying to buy a house and like the only thing that's really great in my life uh like systemically is the Veterans Administration right. because it's nonprofit and they have taken incredible care of me. Mm. And every I get a bill, and the bill has uh, like last month it was like two hundred thirty nine dollars for all my medications and all the things, and then and then at the bottom it's it's like, and all of this was paid for by the Build Back Better plan or what whatever right, like right. like these programs have funded the very minimal amount that I would normally be paying. And and I broke my ankle a year ago. I was taking incredible take care of. I've got piles of medications that I was on and like and any other situation other than me being in the VA, I would be financially destitute right now. There would be no question that I would have hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical bills and be underwater and not be able to sustain and be like it just be we've seen this yeah and uh and so shout out to the va and shout out to like government programs that yeah genuinely help individuals stay afloat so that i i can run a business that hires people and pays taxes like and so i do that right uh, well i think that's one of the things that bothers me so much about having broken parties is that, and especially right now, because we don't have a strong Republican conservative party, 
as we are spiraling out of control from going from a capitalist capitalism to whatever it is that we're in now that is a shockingly deformed version that capitalism can work great. I believe in a capitalist system that has lots of guardrails and lots of things that are in place to keep it in yep. the arena that is fair for anyone. Long ago, we've lost that. But now we're feeding that other. And if we don't have a party to be like capitalism works and we can see it, we need to get back. We need to conserve that idea of what it used to be. I don't blame anyone under the age of 40, maybe even 50, who are like, this is bullshit. It's totally like it's destroying us all. Why not go to socialism? Like, is it going to be worse than this? Can it be worse than this? Well, yeah, it can be. And it probably would be if we went to a full communist or socialist thing like you think we are. But right now, the thing that you're telling me is so great is the thing that's destroying things. So if you don't fix that, everyone's going to walk away and not consider it as part of the thing that we should be thinking about, which it can be and should be. But since you're not keeping up that thing, like nobody wants it and you're not. So, yeah. Katie Porter uh, is representative and she is able to put into plain language she's she's like a school teacher and oh, became yeah. a representative I think I might have seen some things of her she's a mom and and she just doesn't take anyone's shit take anyone's shit right. and uh i love her hmm that where's she from uh like she is from um the Midwest, okay. uh, plain spoken Midwest woman. Plain spoken. I do, and and uh, if if let's let we'll end this in a nonpartisan way that we can all enjoy uh, election season at least a little bit. Where is she from? Midwest, you know, Orange County, California, <laughs> the Midwest of California. The of Midwest. course, she's the first Democrat in Orange County in oh forever. yeah because they were right, super staunch. Uh, interesting conservative interesting well you'll notice lots of yard signs for lots of candidates for different things and there's one in my area right now i can't remember her name but you'll see it every election cycle and tons of ads where people who want to change the way that we're going with things will plead for a new direction (laughs) and if and when you say new new direction quickly it of course sounds like nude erection and so it always makes me laugh because it's not makes an nft up yeah <laughs> but yeah that always makes me laugh every every election cycle just never never fails somebody coming up with we need a new direction for oregon and it's like yes we do yes yes we do all in favor of new directions say hi <laughs> All right. Well, there's a Garth Brooks concert that was so thunderous that it registered as an earthquake in Louisiana. And I didn't print off the story because it was behind a paywall. So thanks, (laughs) SunHerald.com. Lastly, Mark. Calling a man bald is considered sexual harassment. Bring it on. This is too triggering. Maybe I should read this for you. So the ruling came in a, uh, in, cases, in a case between a veteran electrician and his employers. Tony Finn, 64, claimed he had been victim of sexual harassment when his colleagues said that he was a bald... C-word. C-word. <laughs> maybe is this maybe Ireland? the bald wasn't <laughs> the sexual harassment. It's <laughs> a uh, bald C-word, which is actually pretty hilarious. Uh, Tony Finn, 64. Uh, that's twice. Uh the panel, the panel sitting at Sheffield. So maybe this is in. This would make it's more sense if this was in Britain, where that word is a little more commonly used than it is in America. Um, compared it to when somebody mentions a woman's breasts. The ruling made by a panel of three men who pointed to their own lack of hair. <laughs> comes in a case between oh that must have been mr finn was fired last may from the west yorkshire based okay british bung company okay (laughs) i guess that well somebody's got to manufacture bung holes for wine for wine barrels (laughs) the british bung company where he had worked 24 years and had an unblemished record in a statement he told the tribune that several incidents in which the term was used and he was in fear of violence his colleague denied using the term and said, quote, I did not threaten Tony. The tribunal heard Mr. Finn wrote a statement with the, his police officer's son on official police paper when he handed that to his bosses, uh, which, oh, yeah, so which make wooden cask closures for the brewing industry. 
they accused him of trying to intimidate them and fired him. The tribunal said of the bald comment, quote, it was a violation of the claimant's dignity. It created an intimidating environment for him and it related to the claimant's sex. Mr. Finn is in line for compensation after winning the claims for unfair dismissal, wrongful dismissal and being subject to sexual harassment. So, wow. Interesting, interesting. I guess when you break it down, it's like you wouldn't, I mean, maybe you'd call a bald woman that, but that would be, seems like a, that's a little much, but yeah, so no longer, no longer can we say that you are bald. Amen. I, I did like the, uh, where was it? Made by a panel of three men who pointed out their own lack of hair. Finally, we got our revenge. Ah, uh, yes. That's the news. Um, cool. Well, uh, I have a topic that um, somebody I, I honestly wasn't very familiar with, but is a Portland native that his name I had heard based on the award given out by, uh, by people in his name. Uh, but James Beard, uh, are you familiar oh, with James Beard? I've heard the name. We've but... heard the name, and I had heard the name as well. So uh, we talk about James Beard, and uh, he's a, a, a Portland native originally. And uh, so James Beard was alive from 1903 to 1985, and he was known as the Dean of American Cookery. Huh. James Dean hosted the first cooking program in James the Beard. His, James Beard. <laughs> what did I say? James Dean. <laughs> James Dean. Uh, the Dean of American Cookery. Ah, there we go. James Beard hosted the first cooking program in the history of television and the, was the author of 22 cookbooks and many magazine newspaper articles. He paved the way for t- today's celebrity chefs. Uh, as Julia Child proclaimed, in the beginning, there was Baird. Um, Baird was born in Portland in 1903, and the family spent summers at the beach cabin in Gearhart, where he learned about Dungeness crab, salmon, clams, and other Oregon seafood that would become some of his favorite food throughout his life. And he went to what's now Revolution Hall. Uh, He went to high school at Washington High School right there in uh, central southeast uh, Portland. After graduating from there, Beard briefly attended Reed College, but he was kicked out his freshman year for being extraordinarily gay. Uh, (laughs) So he... uh, he, uh, How do you spell his last name? Beard, uh, beard, like B E A. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, uh, facial hair. Okay. Beard and beard. Uh, exceptionally. Well, you are he, an exceptional gay. He, he was, he was kicked out for having multiple affairs with other students and a professor. Oh, wait. Uh, okay. Hold on. <laughs> but he's gay. I mean, <laughs> he was gay. Um, but, um, at, at the same time, um, we'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit. He, uh, he, he was only on campus for like six months for, for like, <laughs> he was for his gayness to become a distraction to all to, to distraction at all. He, um, was not, um, bitter, uh, about Reed college huh. later in life. Uh, so, so he had won a prize for a Halloween costume and full drag. This was, I mean, if like he a- was, 1903 was when he was like born. Twenties, 1920s, yeah. Uh, in full drag, was elected to the treasurer of the freshman class. Many years later, in 1976, the Reed College presented him with an honorary degree huh. as a way to atone for the sins of the past. Uh, his former uh, lawyer, Morris Galen, who represented James for the last 15 years of his life and helped draft his will, said... There's no doubt that Jim was expelled from Reed, but he wasn't the kind of person to dwell on that. He held no animosity at all, not when I knew him. He felt very good about Reed and was thrilled when he was awarded an honorary degree. In fact, uh, after his death in 1985, James had bequeathed the bulk of of his his estate to Reed College, including his private collection of his own cookbooks, and set up their James Beard 
scholarship fund, which supports students who otherwise could not afford tuition. Oh, wow. Um, and so in 1939, Beard was living in New York uh, when he managed to turn his knowledge and passion for food into a living. He took a job with a successful catering company and put, published his first cookbook in 1940 on o- d'oeuvres and uh, canapes. And... Um, Short stint in U.S. Army during World War II. He returned to writing cookbooks after the war in 1946. And then in 1946, he appeared on a local television show in New York City with a 15-minute cooking lesson, which was the first cooking show in American history. Wow. And uh, it led to a national show on NBC from 46 to 47. But he just wasn't... And I, I watched some Julia Child interviews about him and saw some of his videos and uh, <clears throat> some recordings of his show. She latched onto the American psyche and, and was such an oddity and performer and people just drew to her. Uh, James Beard didn't have that same magnetism on screen. Even and, he was super gay. Even though he was super gay, uh, he was he was. I will be gay. Uh, and so, uh, and so he he always was a little resentful about or or maybe jealous of uh, Julia Child. He and Julia mm. Child became lifelong friends. Oh, wow. To to he he passed away in 1985 from a heart attack, and uh, and they had known each other from. Her arrival in New York City in 1961, she was living in France, published her uh, The Art of French Cooking, and um, she was getting ready for the publicity tour with that and arrived in New York. The publisher said, who is it that you want to meet? And uh, she said, Jim Beard. I, I wow. want to I, I meet James. And uh, and so they became friends in 1961 uh, through his death in, in 1985. And she has so many great interviews about him. Uh, they, they spent a lot of time together in France and uh, did cooking classes together and a, a whole bunch of things. So she would they were contemporaries and um, and really respected each other. They called themselves Gigi for Jim and Julia. Uh, and and uh, it's. Yeah, so friends mm. with Julia Child. Um, in um, 72, he published the James James Beard's American Cookery, an 877-page compendium with 1,500 recipes in which he tried to do for American cooking what Julia Child had achieved for French cooking and mastering the art of French cooking. And... Um, he in 73 began teaching an annual summer cooking class in Seaside High School uh, here in Oregon and uh, then also began teaching in San Francisco. So he's on television. He's doing books, magazine articles and teaching classes. And um, in 1974, the mayor of Portland, Neil Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt, said uh declared september 20th 1974 to be james beard day in portland and uh and that's also uh and a couple years later is when he did receive the the honorary degree from reed college uh he held his last cooking class in person in 1981 and his last book was published in 83 and he died of heart failure in 85 uh, a few weeks after his death, his best friend uh, and uh, uh, another mutual friend scattered his ashes ashes at Tillamook Head. Huh. Uh, and so he's not buried anywhere. He was cremated and scattered ashes. And uh, many of his cookbooks are still in print. And he is acknowledged as one of the most influential exponents of good cooking in the 20th century. The James Beard Foundation in New York preserves his residence and makes annual awards that carry out his legacy. So Julia Child, when when James Beard died, she's like, why don't we take his house and make it into the common place that cooks? You know, like, she was so about community with right. food. And, and so she, like, said that offhandedly. And then, like, 
a team of people went into work and and bought the house and turned it into the James Beard Foundation, uh, which uh, is the the Beardies are are the Beard Awards are given out annually for cookbooks. Uh, it's it's a I was going to say, that, the one thing that came to mind when you said James Beard, I felt like there's a James Beard Award of yeah, some sort, the, and the that's James, why I've heard of it. It's super famous, yeah. and so the the best cookbooks in the world are winners of the James Beard Award, okay. and, and chefs get James Beard Awards as well. And so uh, he was really one of the first foodies, uh, right. to especially in America during you know, the first half of the 20th century was America was trying to find its own voice. Mm. And the Pacific Northwest had such a smorgasbord, (laughs) ironically, not the uh, uh, Swedish kind, Swedish kind. Yeah. uh, (laughs) A smorgasbord of uh, culinary, native culinary delights of of salmon and and things. This is the American food if you will and so he tried to establish american cuisine in the hearts and minds of the public and so uh james beard our local hero wow that was good good that's it it is it is weird how you i guess it's not weird but just like that i in my head that's been like a a labeled filing cabinet thing that just with nothing in it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, now I have something to tuck into there. That's, that's pretty nice. That's wild though, that he, that he donated that much bunny back to read when he was only there for six months. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I appreciated education and, and engaging with people. And, and so I think that in the seventies, he like rekindled the relationship sure. with them and, you know, right. buried the hatchet from 50 years before yeah yeah and uh like uh let's let's make this happen right so. now was he was he out i mean it sounds like he was extraordinarily gay he, but I mean, he was, was extra- he out he was out uh he officially outed himself to the public in 1981 uh, okay. and so it was right before his death and he was very ill at the time and and at the time of his death, there were half-written memoirs that had uh, details. But he was in a um, committed relationship at the beginning where they were really passionate. And then they became more like friends over mm-hmm. the years. And, and he was a pastry chef, uh, an Italian pastry chef that... I uh, had one of those. What? <laughs> that um, I, I can't think of it. Uh, Car- Cartofi, I think was his last name. Um they uh, and so they had they had a relationship and uh, but up until the eighties uh, he was closeted if you will and not sure. out uh, publicly but um, it wasn't like a, a Liberace situation no. where it's like or a, a Paul Lind <laughs> where everybody knew but nobody, but nobody asked knew right because nobody wanted it to be confirmed or denied so we just let them be Paul Lind that's such a such a weird time in history that wild because i was there i loved (laughs) paul lind i loved liberace and you there was this cognitive dissonance of like well it just never occurred to you because i mean gay people didn't exist but i mean that was kind of like the thing it's like or or the archetype of what you thought a gay person didn't line up with that like paul lind was was engaging and funny and oh, interesting sure, sure. and not a monster. Yeah, not like a freaky predator. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And so the the media and the the, the yeah. conscious voice had made the gay into this what predatory monster. What we're doing to trans yeah. people yeah, right I now. Fuck. And I think I I think I mentioned on the podcast before, and I forget if it's on Netflix or HBO Max or something like that, but it's a must be on Netflix, a documentary about um, trans representation in popular media over like all of actually all of history because they're ev- they're everywhere. Trans people are everywhere. 
but just looking back and then of course in the 20th century it gets very specific to that same thing of like they're dangerous or they're they're laughing stocks they're always the punchline or they're always at this and and it was just trans trans people talking about like them growing up and seeing that and like just that representation or the uh they're always the um the monster predator in a movie like yeah silence of the lambs and and and, yeah Uh, yeah totally so they're they're never they're your never friend. a hero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're never your friend. They're never your neighbor. Right. It, they're, they're always, uh, you know, a derogatory. And it's, it's just like absolutely basically deplorable. a minstrel yeah. act for, yeah. yeah. Wow. James well, that was Beard. James Beard. Very, very interesting. Well, yeah. thank you for that. And thank you for everyone else that stopped by and had to listen to our little show Yay. today. It's good to be back behind a decent microphone. And for for those of you who were riveted last time when I wondered, oh, yeah, we should do some more jokes, whether or not my mic was plugged in. Uh, it, it was not. But um, who is Father Christmas's favorite singer? Um, El, Elfis. El, Elfis. Oh, I like that. That is not the answer, but that, good. <laughs> this one has Beyond Slay. <laughs> Where did the general keep his armies? Up his sleeveys. Oh, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Riveting show here. One more. One more. Let's see. What does, what sound does a nut make when it sneezes? Uh, Cashew. Yes. Oh, (laughs) where's my, hold on. What? Oh, it's only kind of. (laughs) We have not solved the audio. There we go. That's much better. Yeah. Not solved my stream deck problems. <laughs> All right. Cashew. Well, we'll catch you <laughs> later. Um, I think we're going to hopefully try to do uh, Portland at the Movies next week. Uh, we'll confirm that. But either way, we will be back. And we have a special guest coming up on oh, yes. the 5th. So do stay tuned for that. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to f- check out Fun Employment Radio, where you can hear them every day. And you can hear Aaron Duran and um, his crew every week on Geek in the City. So check them out. Um uh, other than that, I guess we will just go. I wonder what comes up when I type in extraordinarily gay. I will be gay. The ambiguously gay duo. Well, yeah. pretty great. Anyway, well, we will talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. People just adored him. Well, he was so jolly and so nice and so generous. I think that was one of the one of the one of the great things about him. I met Jim Beard when our first book came out, that was in 1961, and our editor at Knopf, Judith Jones, said, well now, whom would you like to meet? But I did know the name of Jim Beard, and I said, I'd like to meet Beard. And so Judith arranged it, and we came down on the subway, this was way back in 1961, and we entered, and there must have been Clay, who opened the door for us, and here was this great big Jim, and his hands were covered with egg white, and he greeted us like that. And he was demonstrating how to fold a souffle, the egg whites into a souffle with their hands. And he was, he was just wonderful to us. He said, oh, and he, after he'd gotten the egg white off of his hands, he said, this great book that they have just done and so forth. And he was just so welcoming and so nice and so helpful. And he introduced us to everybody. He was just so nice to us. And we became firm friends from them on. We had a little housey down in, in the south of France. And Jim used to come there and use it. And that was... And then we, we just became very close, happy friends. He certainly influenced me, because I had I'd been living in France, and at that time in France, everything was very close to the chest. Nobody would give out any information about anything. When he was so open, he had such a general love of food that I think he encouraged everybody. His, I think his newspaper articles were very influential. When you read beard, you felt that he was talking, because he wrote just the way he talked. He was particularly good at at public demonstrations, because he really was an actor. I remember I saw him down in the south shore of Boston in a great big tent 
where they had those kind of, they had plays that went on in the tent, and this he did a big cooking demonstration there, and he was just great fun as a demonstrator. He was not, not as good on television, you know, some people freeze up, mm -hmm. which he kind of did, but as a performer, a live performer, he was just without peer, I think. He was never a very good financial manager at all, and he really had, had made no provision for what was going to happen with his house or his affairs. And it was stated that everything of his was going to go up for auction and the house would disappear. And I happened to be at a meeting of the IACP, the International Association of Culinary Professionals, and I was giving a speech and I just suddenly said, we can't let the James Beard house go, that we should really start a foundation, we should, we should save it so that we can have some kind of a place for everybody who's in the culinary business. And that's, I just made that one remark, and everyone thought that that was a wonderful idea because Jim was, he, he represented the food community for most of everyone. And then it was really thanks to Peter Kump that just from those few remarks, Peter Kump took the ball and he ran with it, and that's why we have the James Beard Foundation today. James Beard was important in his day and is now even more so because he's of a focal point of, of gastronomy and of the people in the profession. I think just the fact that he was in it has made the culinary professional respectable one, and one that's being now taken more and more seriously by the, by the public at large. And I think just the fact of having the foundation keeps his name and his image alive. And I, I think it's vastly important and that all of us who are in the culinary field should support the foundation, particularly because now you're doing so much on, on research and I think so much on encouraging young people to go into the business and also showcasing young chefs from all over the country. Because New York certainly is, is the focal point, I think, for, well, it's still the Big Apple. And I think so many chefs feel that if they have come here at the Beard Foundation and given a dinner and gotten recognition, that it means a great deal to them. I think the James Beard Foundation is tremendously important for everybody who's taking the culinary arts as a serious art form, which I think most of us who are in the business do. And I think it's furthering that 